0: You're listening to the Talking Rheumatology podcast brought to you by the British Society for Rheumatology.
1: Hi, I'm Marwan Bukhari, I'm a Consultant Rheumatologist and I'm the, the Editor-in-Chief of Rheumatology and welcome to this podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking today about some of the more recent and quite exciting guidelines and that's the guidelines for pregnancy. And uh, we'll start off really by getting everybody to introduce themselves and tell us who they are and their role and how they what they did throughout the guidelines. So I'll start off with Ian
2: here. Uh, thank you, Marwan. Uh, so my name is Ian Giles. I'm an academic rheumatologist working at University College London and University College London Hospital. Uh, and I was the chair of the guideline working group uh, that oversaw both of these guidelines. Karen?
3: Yeah, hello. Thank you. My name is Karen Schreiber. I'm a r- rheumatology specialty registrar uh, based at the Danish Hospital for Rheumatic Disease in Sonnebau, Denmark, but also affiliated at St. Thomas's um, in London. And I was both part of the first guideline, also the updated one now.
0: Uh, Mark? Uh, hi, I'm Mark Russell, I'm a rheumatology specialty registrar and NIHR research fellow at King's College London, and I led the immunomodulatory guideline. And Claire?
4: Hi, I'm Claire, um, I've got arthritis and I was one of the patient representatives on the project.
1: Welcome everybody. Um, we'll start off really by asking uh, Ian, tell me us a bit more, so why did we need these guidelines? So
2: these guidelines, I think, are important because prescribing rheumatic drugs in pregnancy is is an important area both for patients and clinicians that can give rise to uncertainty uh, in the use and safety of medications. And although we had previously published on this area, those guidelines came out in 2016 uh, and were based upon an evidence review up to December of 2013. So a lot of information has appeared uh, between now and then, really updating with The drugs that we reviewed last time, the the biologic drugs, but there's an increasing number of new drugs, both biologic drugs and um, small molecule inhibitors, for which new information is emerging on a regular basis that has to be reviewed on a regular basis to try and update any recommendations around their use or avoidance in pregnancy. Uh, And also, there's emerging information around the importance of managing rheumatic disease to keep it under control in pregnancy, because there's now there's a clear link between active rheumatic disease and adverse pregnancy outcomes. So a lot of the recommendations we made were we tried to be pragmatic and give reassurance about the potential usage of drugs to maintain control of rheumatic disease in pregnancy. Uh, And so those were the key areas why we need why we felt we needed to update the guidance after a period of uh, seven years.
1: Right. So I'm um, going to ask Karen and Mark, really, to tell us a bit more. I mean, tell us, you know, what's new, what's different. So and give us some good examples of, of things that, that, that people will find in the guidelines that are different.
0: I think one one big change is that the we previously there was a part one and a part two to the guidelines that cover the immunomodulatory medications and the comodity medications and analgesia. So this time, recognising that, as Ian said, the number of medications has increased considerably and so has the amount of evidence, particularly for biologics. We've separated them into two different guidelines. Uh, And we also took a different approach with how we synthesise the evidence and base the recommendations. So for the immunomodulatory guideline, we did a full systematic search of all evidence since the last um, search for the previous guideline, and then formulated the recommendations based upon all that evidence. Uh, We also didn't limit our search to only rheumatic diseases, but we also considered uh, information where relevant from conditions such as inflammatory bowel disease and psoriasis. Uh, And slightly differently, for the comorbidity medication guideline, uh, we recognised that Lots of those medications and those medication groups have already been sort of comprehensively reviewed elsewhere in other reviews. so we we base our recommendations on the highest level of evidence available. So if there were guidelines or systematic reviews already present, we we took those into account, and where there weren't guidelines, we looked at the largest available cohort studies. But the, the common thing for both guidelines was were the key questions. you know is the medication compatible with pregnancy? Should it be stopped pre or periconception? And also, is it compatible with both breastfeeding and or uh, paternal exposure?
1: Okay, Karen, what's your what's your take on what's different?
3: Yeah. So um, if you compare the current guideline with the previous ones, we we have uh, certainly grown as a working group. working on the documents and also we have increased the considered drugs that we included in the guidelines Um, and this is because as Ian mentioned there's now more evidence available on the specific drugs Um, and yeah we have gathered more experience and more, more Evidence has been published since the last guideline. And for for example, looking at the working groups, we have now in the current ones included the UK Teratology, teratology Information Service of the UK TIS team. And um, the head uh, of that team um, was was part of the working group, Ken Hodgson, and he's, he's been really, really helpful. Um and uh, the 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 drugs we have uh, included now in the current guidelines we have expanded so we for example included Dapson, we have included colchicine and um then there are also more specific updates to drugs that we already had concluded in previous guidelines so specific drugs uh, updates on on methotrexate use for example um on tramadol on NSAID use so it's it's a really we hope it's a really useful document for the readers Okay. And
1: does it really differ from, uh, you know, you've got ULR and ACR guidelines out there. Do you think that this is a, a more practical one?
3: Um, I believe so, because it gives very specific advice on drug use. So um, I think we as a BSR, uh, under the BSR umbrella, can allow us to to give more specific um indications whereas EUla might be a little bit more cautious because they cover European countries as such so so it might be different in in the countries um, but if you ask asking for the the specific differences so for example the previous methotrexate advice was that um, it should be stopped at least uh, three months before um Uh, pregnancy and the current one we've updated it that we should um, stop methotrexate uh, one month in advance as an example or the other one that's updated is um, the use of NSAIDs where we previously advised that it could be stopped around week 32. We now have updated that according to the newest um available evidence that it should be stopped around week thirty so so there will be specific updates and and um yeah, so we hope it will be absolutely useful for the for the clinicians and patients and healthcare professionals who who see patients with rheumatic diseases in pregnancy Claire. Um, from a patient
1: perspective uh, how do you how do you think that this will go I mean we used to back in the day I used to always in clinic open up the table in the pregnancy guideline and show it to the patient and print it out and the patient would take it away how do you think this will carry on and be something the patients can actually access themselves
4: definitely I think the main thing it offers is reassurance so as Ian was saying things change all the time and I think as patients we're really aware of that and grateful I might add because you know new drugs give us new options um so I think just information is power and especially going to something like pregnancy there's a lot of anxiety around it it is a big change you know I really didn't trust my body because it let me down so much since I was a teenager so I kind of was very worried going into the whole process and I fell pregnant accidentally um so it was just really reassuring that You know, my rheumatoidologist is Ian, which is also brilliant because he doesn't have to get the guidelines out. He is a walking set of guidelines. So he just talks to me about these things. So I think it's a way to really empower the patient, involve us in decision making as well. So we really understand the pros and cons of each medication that we might be on. For me in particular as well, it meant that we could forward plan a little bit. So although my little girl was a surprise, I was at that point where I was thinking about it already. So we managed to switch some of my medication so that as and when I did fall pregnant, it would be fine. So I think, you know, any forward planning and any reassurances that can be given to patients so that they can have as normal an experience of falling pregnant, being pregnant and giving birth as possible is brilliant. Again, I breastfed my daughter for 15 months, which I don't take for granted. I didn't know whether that would be possible. And it was really important to me that I could do that. Um, So I think just having this information will make people feel so much more confident going into this huge life changing event Um, and the fact that it's all based on up to the minute information, you know, is brilliant.
1: So going back to you, Ian, uh, have there been any gaps that have been uncovered? And more importantly, what can we do to publicise these gaps and, and, you know, and encourage people to submit the science?
2: So I think one of the key areas of sort of gaps in knowledge that that were identified was that although there's a lot of people looking at the safety of usage of drugs in pregnancy, there's less less people considering uh, the harmful effects of stopping drugs in pregnancy. So there's not so many studies looking at the impact of uh, stopping dis- medications on disease activity. Uh, so ideally, what we'd like are randomised clinical trials to look at whether biologic drugs, for instance, are safe to continue in pregnancy. Uh, Does stopping them have any harmful effects by allowing a rebound activation of disease, for instance, that might then have some harmful consequence in pregnancy? Equally, it would be nice to know whether there are any any harmful effects of continuing biologic drugs through pregnancy on the infant immune system, because that's a desperately understudied area um, where I think we'd like to see uh, more work done uh, which is a little bit more uh, or harder to get samples from infants, of course, so it requires uh, a higher level of funding and perhaps interest from research groups. But those are key areas, I think, that we sort of identified from our, our extensive literature reviews that are still needing um, um, further attention to uh, funding and study.
1: Okay. so. Just finally, really. So uh, the adage that everybody used to push around was that, oh no, in pregnancy, your disease goes into remission and it will flare postpartum. How how much do you think that's true? Because uh, from what I've seen being submitted to the journal, that's really not true, but uh, how do you think you're going to debunk that and educate people about it?
2: So that's a good question. <clears throat> I'll perhaps ask Claire to close her ears slightly because we still try and do give a positive message to tell patients that the inflammatory disease will often get better in pregnancy, but with the caveat that we do like to maintain disease control with medications that, you know, to be compatible during pregnancy. And that's another sort of slight change in the guidelines uh, is that we have a generic recommendations section. So as well as sort of giving very detailed advice around when Uh, and to to stop and or start uh, all of the medications that we covered. We've given some generic recommendations in relation to the the, the treatment of um, inflammatory disease and also uh, pain related conditions in pregnancy around usage of medications, highlighting the importance of um, gauging the patients and fully informing them of pros and cons, um, but also highlighting the importance of maintenance disease control. So hopefully the guideline will go some way towards that, as well as all the sort of research that's being done to try to identify the harmful effects on loss of disease control that can happen when you stop medications inappropriately in pregnancy. OK, uh,
1: Claire, do think it's 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 great then that the patients will, will, will now know a lot more and will be able to read the general uh, guidances before they decide to start families?
4: Yeah, exactly. As I say, information is power and, you know, No one takes these decisions lightly. I've often said, I don't want to make a decision now. I want to go away and think about it, speak to my family and come back because the medication that you take is life changing. You know, whether it's side effects, you know, suppressed immune system, nausea, whatever it might be, or life changing in that your disease is completely controlled and you can live a, you know, as normal a life as possible. These are, you know, huge decisions. Um, So the more information that we have, the more up to date it is, the better we can feel as patients about those decisions that we're making.
1: Okay. well, thank you all very much about talking about these and hopefully we'll see some further research coming through to the journal. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you for listening to Talking Rheumatology brought to you by BSR. Please do rate, share and subscribe through your favourite podcast app.